for as long as I've been a preacher, I have often had the question from people during the week at some time, preacher, what are you preaching about on Sunday? And with all those questions, my response is with a happy smile on my face, well, I'm preaching about God. If you look at today's sermon title, which you've already heard about, you might wonder how that's going to happen. How can the title be about hell, which is our word of the week, and also be a sermon about God? Well, that's my goal. This word of the week was actually suggested by several of you, and then I got some interesting comments when others of you heard what the subject was. One of you said, oh, has it been that kind of week around the church? (laughs) Another of you commented, I hope you have tenure. Talking about hell and messing with the devil can get you in serious trouble. Maybe you've seen that list of bulletin bloopers, you know, those uh, things printed or misprinted in church bulletins. Here's one of them. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. What is hell? Is hell a pertinent topic for our lives of faith and discipleship in these times? Is a conversation about hell something that might give encouragement to us as we seek to live as God's people in this city and throughout our days? That's our challenge today. I've told this story before. It's about the time I went to get a haircut at the barber shop. The barber with me sitting in his barber chair, found out I was a pastor, and he quickly asked me, so, preacher, when you preach, do you really preach? Like, do you make people feel bad? Do you stomp on their toes? Do you tell them they're going to hell if they don't get their lives straight? The barber said that's what he liked about his preacher. His preacher didn't mince words and talked often about hell and life's consequences. And the barber liked going to the church to feel bad, to be convicted, to get fussed at. He wanted to come out of church feeling so rotten that he would try to do better in the days of the week ahead. In our tradition, as I told the barber, I try to talk more about God and more about grace, hoping that those topics might inspire us to life and faith. Fire and brimstone, the threat of hell never really inspired me. But that conversation with the barber reminded me that some people are inspired by the threat of hell. Some people like hearing about it so that they can be moved to a different place in life. Some people indeed are motivated by fire and brimstone and threats of hell. Actually, Jesus knew about this. Jesus knew people might be, some of them, inspired to life and faith with threats of darkness and eternal punishment. Jesus, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, talks often about hell. Those who turn away from Jesus those who do not use their talents for God's good work, those who do not not tend to the least of these, 
who do not help the hurting, they'll be cast into eternal punishment, Jesus says. Thrown into the outer darkness, Jesus says, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can find this in Matthew 23 to 25. The book of Revelation also talks about the lake of fire, a powerful symbol for hell, where the unfaithful will be tormented day and night, it says. So these words of Jesus and these images of Scripture have given some prominence to this talking and preaching about hell that has generated fire and brimstone preaching across the generations. Some people are motivated by it. But for many of us, hell as a place, fire and torment and eternal punishment, or the idea of a three-tiered universe with heaven above and earth here and hell below, uh, that's something that's less literal for us and maybe less important for our faith and our thinking. Heaven above, earth here, hell below. Most of us do not take that literally. Most of us don't think like that. We live, we know, on a huge globe, and the globe is revolving always, and it's rotating around the sun. And we may talk about heaven above and earth here and hell below, but it's absolutely metaphorical, not literal. Here, I think, is a better way to think about this. Heaven and hell are real. But they are not so much places, up or down. Heaven and hell are real, but they are more states of being, conditions of life. Heaven is not so much a place, a, a location above. Heaven is a state of being, an experience. Life in God's fullness, heaven. Life in God's presence, heaven. Life in God's full light, heaven. Life in all beauty and majesty and mystery with a capital M and holiness, heaven. We get glimpses of this state and this experience, heaven, in some moments in this life. We do. You could have you could pause and think of them and maybe name them where you've sensed this awesome presence of God, this heaven-like existence, some sacred moment of wholeness, some hopeful moment. Maybe it was when a child was born or another moment of extreme God-filled, God-blessed joy regarding something amazing, something life-giving, some state when God's awesome presence and fullness, God's grace, God's peace could be powerfully sensed and experienced. Heaven. Perhaps it was a moment full of calm and beauty, full of God. When there was a sense that all was well and all will be well and all is always well in this kind of moment. Perhaps it was a moment in life when your life or your loved one's life or all of life was held by God and covered in peace. These moments are real. They're memorable. They're so full of God and God's grace and so full of God's spirit. And as we think about the next life, 
life after death. This is certainly something that we long for and pray for and anticipate when our race is over, when our years have come to an end on this earth, when our work is done and we move into God's fullness, full presence, full glory, full light, God's beauty covering everything. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sadness. Heaven, heaven, when we look forward to that glad reunion in the life to come that we anticipate so much, that glad reunion in the life to come, a state of glory, a state of welcome, a state of fellowship, a state of God and goodness and grace abounding. Heaven, it's what we pray for. It's what we work for in the world. Heaven, it's real, it's promising, it's certain, all because of God, God's love and God's faithfulness and God's grace all around us all the time. In the same way, when we think about heaven, we might say that hell is not a place. It's not some place below us in the earth, hot and with perpetual tormenting of the devil. That's metaphorical. That image comes to us maybe more from Dante. Hell is less a place and more a state of being, an experience. Life lacking God's light. Life lacking God's presence. Life lacking God's love. Hell is full of misery and ugliness and pain and horror. And there's no de denying the reality of hell. Hell is real. Unfortunately, we may get glimpses of this state, this experience, all too often in our lives. Probably some that we can name real quickly from our own lives. Some of us can name them far more quickly than we might be able to name our heaven-type moments of experience in God's goodness and grace. Hell is the torment we feel when the harsh realities of life seem overwhelming. Maybe, as the scriptures say, when the enemies encamped around us. We cry out and we get no response. That's what Psalm 22 is about. You heard it read. These words are familiar. They're so familiar because Jesus spoke that first line from the cross. In the midst of his excruciating agony on the cross, the pain and suffering of that horrible moment, these words become very vivid. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do not be far from me, O God. Trouble is near and there's no one around to help me. Forsaken, alone, desperate, pleading, hopeless, darkness, gloom, this is hell. That's the familiar sentiment of a spouse who learns that the marriage is over and darkness covers the earth. It's the experience of those among us who have addiction and oppression, depression, or some other circumstance that leaves us so heavy and full of gloom on many days. It's how a parent feels who has lost a child, especially to an accident or some violent incident. Can't even get off the floor. Can't stop crying. Can't see anything. 
hell. Hell is the certain sense of a young person who's struggling with his identity and his orientation, only to feel beat down and oppressed at every turn, even by his church. Hell comes when our sense of failure gets so strong, we become paralyzed, we become anxious, we become crippled, we feel destroyed. Hell Hell is the reality of the mother of the man who was shot in Tulsa this week. Hell is the reality of his four children this week. The man was killed seemingly because he was large and African-American. Hell is the current and pending reality of the young police officer who shot the man in Tulsa whose life turned toward hell in a split-second mistake that she made. Hell is the vivid reality of all too many African Americans in our urban areas whose chances of being shot or ending up in prison are way more than they've ever been before because of systemic racism and systemic injustice in our culture. Hell is, the, is certainly the sentiment of people in Aleppo, Syria this day and other regions torn apart by endless violence, years of violence. These people wake up every day to more tormenting hopelessness. Here's what we know. Heaven and hell are both so real and we may be able to talk about our hellish experiences a lot more quickly than the other because of the terror and pains of life. But here's where we get to talk about God. God knows all about hell. As much as we might gravitate to the idea that hell is without God, page after page of the scriptures affirms for us that while hell may be real, hell is never, ever without God. Never beyond God's reach. Never without God's presence and care. Psalm 22 begins in extreme hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A sense of desperation, a sense of abandonment. But it also ends affirming God's presence. Affirming God's power. Affirming God's promises. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. It says, all the families of the nation shall worship God, for dominion belongs to the Lord. Hell is real. Hell is terrible. But God is more real. And God is more powerful. And God is more present. And God promises never to leave us in hell. One of my favorite verses of Scripture comes from another psalm. It's 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, O God, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness is too dark for me all around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you, O God. 
Psalm 139. There's nowhere we can go where God is not with us. If we ascend to heaven, God is there. If we make our bed in Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for hell, God is there. Even the darkness is not dark to God, the night as bright as the day. If you came to hear the gospel today, that's it. Hell is real. Hell touches us. Hell threatens our life. But hell is never too much for God. Hell is never apart from God. God reigns. God love prevails forever. In a few moments, we're going to stand and recite the Apostles' Creed. Familiar words to us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And in Jesus Christ, His only Son. And then we get to that phrase, He descended into hell. These words were not part of the original Apostles' Creed. They're not in the Nicene Creed, which was written several centuries before the Apostles' Creed. What does this mean? He descended into hell. Well, here's what it means, which I find so very helpful. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, we say. He didn't just die. Jesus entered into the final depths and the worst dregs of our most negative experiences. He descended into hell. If you think you know some extreme absence of God, that statement, he descended into hell, reminds us that Jesus knows about that too. Jesus knows what it's like to be in the deepest places of human grief and loss. Jesus knows what it's like to be a few seconds away from a heroin overdose, which is happening far too often in our culture. He descended into hell. That's what we say. Jesus knows what it's like to be on an overcrowded, sinking refugee boat in the Mediterranean. He descended into hell. That's what we say. There is no abyss to which Jesus will not sink to reveal his love and his care for us, our deepest pains, our worst losses, our most bleak darkness. He descended into hell. If you make your bed in Sheol, I am there. That's the gospel. I referred before to Brian Stevenson's excellent and acclaimed book, Just Mercy. It's about his life and work as a lawyer, especially working with uh, those in prison and on death row who've been caught up in our uh, injustice and in our system, mostly in Alabama. His, his, his work has been there. Brian Stephen has been with so many people, especially those on death row, fighting the toughest odds to help folk get out of wrongful convictions. He has been with people in the midst of their hell, trying to help others. One day in a courthouse in South Alabama, Brian Stevenson encountered an older African-American woman whom he had seen before, but he didn't know. And the woman mentioned for Brian to come over near her, and when he walked over, she said, I'm tired and I'm not going to get up, so, why, so you are going to have to lean over here to give me a hug. And Stevenson said, why, yes, ma'am, I love hugs. Thank you. 
Soon he was sitting down next to this woman and they were talking. Was she a family of one of his clients? No, she said. I'm not related to anybody here. I just come here to help people. This place is full of pain, so full of needy people. This is what I'm supposed to do. And then she told Brian Stevenson her story. Her 16-year-old grandson was murdered 15 years ago. And I love that boy more than life itself, she said. She went on. I grieved and I grieved and I grieved and I asked the Lord why he let somebody take my child like that. He was killed by some other boys. I came to the courtroom for the trials and I sat there and I cried every day for two weeks. None of it made sense. Those boys were found guilty for killing my grandson and the judge sent them away to prison forever. I thought it would make me feel better, but it made me feel worse. For a long time after those trials, I didn't know what to do with myself. Then I started coming down here. I just thought maybe I should come be here. Be here for other people to lean on. I I look for people who've lost someone to murder or to violent crimes. And then I realized that some of the ones grieving the most were the ones whose children were on trial. So I just started letting people lean on me who needed it. All these young people being sent to prison forever. All this grief and violence. These judges throwing people away like they're not even human. People shooting each other, hurting each other like they don't care. So much pain. I decided that I was supposed to be here to catch some of the stones that people cast at each other. She's referring to Jesus' parable about the tendency that's ours to throw stones at people who are down or guilty in some eyes she continued today our self-righteousness our fear our anger have caused even christians to hurl stones at the people who are down we can't just sit around and watch we have to be stone catchers she took brian stevenson's hands and she started rubbing them it hurts to catch all those stones that people throw she said And she kept rubbing his hands, saying, you've done good work today, and I'm going to let you lean on me a bit because I know a few things about stone catching. Hell is real. Hell is certainly in the lives and hearts of many people dealing with many things. Yet hell is never beyond God's reach. Never. Listen to these words from Romans 8. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. As God's people, as God's people, trusting in God's power and trusting in God's presence and trusting in God's promises, we want to be agents of healing and hope, even stone catchers, working against the prevalence and the prominence of hell, working for the coming reign of God, God's peace and wholeness and hope everywhere. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Cover us with your love, O God. Cover us. And then move us in the ways of faith and hope and love toward your coming reign. Heaven on earth. Amen.